Welcome to the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with Dr. Fuck and the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley, better known as Wadzilla. So enjoy another awesome, incredible episode of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Bam, 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 diddly dee. Hey, Smack, oh my God, it's me, Ian Wadley, and with me is Bang Bang Pizza Skulls. Suck at my knob. It's, uh, who am I? Uh, Ralph Vieira, Dr. Fuck. Oh, my. I, I messed up. I put your name first this episode. Hey. Oh, shit. And who do we have with us this week? Oh, you feel that little itch in your lower uh, never region? That's just a little crab rangoos swimming around there. Because Bill Wang is with us. Bam, bam, bam. Rocket Metal Combat Podcast is the place to be. Diddly D, Doc Doc, Dilly Doc, and Lovable Lovebo. What's up, boys? Yeah. It's the Asian sensation. You can blindfold him with dental floss. Oh! Bam, bam, bam. All right, hey, before you guys start start talking, I gotta tell you, both hurt my feelings before we started the show. Because we're all talking, right? And then, and then Bill says, So, Ian, how you been? And Ian said, how you been? Then Ian said, well, how you been, Bill? And Bill said, how you been? Nobody asked me how I been. But that doesn't matter because I'm going to tell you all whether you like it or not how I been. There's been some controversy going on. I'm sure you've seen online with my negotiations with Podbeam. Yes, Podbeam does not give me any money still. So uh, we've gotten a, a big lawsuit and everything. So now... After this episode, I can only show up for little phone call segments, like like Suzanne Summers and Three's Company. <laughs> I, I got a feeling we're gonna work out these negotiations. <laughs> oh my god, the Dream Team is fucking back, and it's about time. Oh man, no no fan episodes. Don't worry, we're gonna get back to them. But uh, Ralph decided wisely. He goes, you know. We need something big, you know. We, we got to get get big numbers. We got to talk about a big album, and we got to have a big guest. And there is none bigger than Bill Wang. This is long overdue. Welcome back, brother. Oh, thank you, brother. I appreciate being here. And just to, to piggyback on what Ralph said about um, not Ian not saying what's going on. Da da. I talk to Ralph more than I talk to Ian nowadays. Than Ian, okay. So I was just getting caught up with Ralph. I love you, brother, and so does Ian. So <laughs> come on. Well, you know, Ian's got a wife. I don't. I need to jerk off, so I give you a call. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Plus, Ralph's the fucking king of YouTube. He ain't got nothing bad going on, you know. No, no, not at all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, me, me and Wayne, we we got problems. You know, we got we got stuff. You know, life is hard. You know, you're the king of the fucking YouTube. You, you're on Easy Street. Yeah, you know, you're doing good. Bobby's fucking me over. There. You got you got that track track for track fucking money, man. Yeah, in high cotton. <laughs> I ain't complaining. Shut up, Chuck Charles Manson, a great 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 donator. <laughs> you didn't say right, Chuck Charles. <laughs> and lately, I've been lately I've been going Charles Manson or 
Chuck Burr Manson. <laughs> I, I switch it up. But, yeah, so, uh, uh, we got any of those, whatever, Podbean, whatever the fuck reviews? Oh, we got all kinds of that shit, but you know what? We'll, we'll save that shit for next week. I love y'all who wrote in, but we're going to get to that later. This, this is a big celebratory thing here, so we just got to get into news in this album, because this is already going to be a legendary episode, and... Bill Wang and myself are only mildly drunk. It's going to get a lot worse. It's going to get a lot harder on poor Ralph. So we'll do that all next week, man. Fuck it. Let's go into the news. All right. All right. right. Ex-Megadeth members Dave Ellison, Jeff Young, and Chris Poland are not concerned about Mustaine's reactions to their Kings of Thrash tour. Um, I'm sure Ellison is. I, I don't think they... I, I think Ellison finally doesn't give a fuck because I really don't think there's any chance now of him getting back. And I think there's a certain freedom when you know... You don't have to worry about what you say because no matter what, you ain't getting your own job back, so fuck it. Uh, you know, I think it's funny. These guys are going out playing all of the stained songs, but I get it, you know? I mean, they were part of it, you know, but, you know, he wrote all this shit for the most part. Uh but I would go see this if it was coming around to me. But it, unfortunately, it's not. Would any? Would you two be interested in going to see this? Yeah, because I saw a clip of them rehearsing, and Chris Poland is still as awesome as he's always been. I'd go only go for that, to tell you the truth. If it was Jeff Young and Junior, no, nah, I'd, I'd skip it. So what about you, Wayne? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, I saw Chris Poland in Megadeth opening up for Metallica one time. So I would love it. I love his playing. I, um, I'd be totally up for it. Some club here in San Francisco would be fucking great. Yeah. And fuck Dave Mustang bailing on, uh, on uh, Jack Off Boy. Big fucking deal. You know what I'm saying? He just wanted to get rid of that huge salary. So I think that was a punk-ass move on his part personally. But whatever. Yeah. I think Again. The pure truth from Bill Wang. You hit the nail on the fucking head, brother. Uh, yeah, that, that's why he's gone, because he can pay a lot less to fucking White Lion Boy, James Lomenzo. No offense to James Lomenzo. He's a solid bass player, but yeah, you know he ain't making that Ellison money. Nope. So, yeah, fuck it. And, and I, I get so tired of these people kicking out, you know, band members for what they did off fucking stage. Especially when you're somebody yeah. like Dave Mustaine, who's done so much shit in your fucking life, and you're going to judge this guy? How Christian? Right. How, how Christian yeah. are you? And, and right. mind you, mind you, he still hasn't gotten out of get, being kicked out of his other band. Yeah. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. Very true. Very oh. true. Oh, God. And he said something. I'm going to save it for when we're talking about the album. But he did an attack on um, Ellipson a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to refer to that when we're talking about, you know, set album. Because uh, he's doing the same petty shit he's accusing Ellison of, so fuck him. And, and you know what? Fuck him for having Sammy Hagar on his fucking record. He's dead to me. He's fucking dead to me. <laughs> what a what shitty ass song, too. I, I haven't, you know what? I, I downloaded the album. I didn't, I didn't pay for it. I pirated that shit. And I deleted it before I even loaded it into my iTunes. I, I, I never want to hear it. Oh, it's fun. <laughs> it's, it's actually a Sammy Hagar song I never heard of before. And I went and listened to the original. I was like, yeah, it sounds like Sammy. 
it's just a piece of crap song. Yeah. You can say crap on Poppy now, right? Yes, yes. Just checking. Yes. Yes, but, uh, you know, other stuff, uh, you got to watch your mouth or we could get in trouble. Because uh, if you think white privilege is bad, wait till you hear about hard privilege. Hard privilege. Oh, my God. You, you can say whatever. But, uh, unfortunately, uh, none of us are retarded, so we got to watch what we say. <laughs> oh, man. Easy for you to say we're not retarded. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Well, here's something related to the band we're talking about. Surprise. You already told me the fucking title. You know this ain't no Bobo band or fucking Bill Wang wouldn't be here. You don't guess on fucking shitty album. Yeah. You ain't gonna catch Bill Wang on a fan paid episode unless he paid for it. <laughs> but Metallica is uh, releasing another uh, second release in their Masters of Whiskey series called Blackest, and I kind of, I don't like when people who don't drink release alcohol. That bothers me. Am I alone in this? You know, you know, Gene is so anti-booze, but if, if it's a kiss beer or kiss whatever, you know, kiss gin or whatever, he's all for it, but he, he don't partake, you know? I don't like that shit, and now, you know, James, well, depending on what day of the week it is, James doesn't drink. But they're pushing whiskey. What do you guys think about that? Well, uh, it's hypocritical, man. I mean, I do the meth I sell. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you think, Wang? <clears throat> I was pouring my uh, alcoholic beverage. I think, oh, first of all, I don't trust anybody that doesn't drink alcohol, so that should say it all. Hey. You, you don't drink for medical reasons. Though. Yeah. You know, that that's different. <laughs> That's different. Right. If, if, if it's something like, you know, as weird as it is that Zach Wilde doesn't drink anymore, you know, but he almost died, I can forgive that. If you just stop drinking because you just can't drink and not be a fucking asshole, you know, then that that's weak, <laughs> you know. Oh, but I mean, if you gotta quit, you gotta quit. But then don't go out and shell fucking whiskey, you know. If you can't handle your own shit, but you want me to buy your shit. You can't drink it. How the, how the fuck can I trust you? Can't. No, I don't. I, I trust it. I, that's poser shit. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, I, I think that's beneath Metallica. Because as many problems as I have with Metallica, there's equal amount of respect I have. And I think they do so much amazing shit for their fans. But if you're going to push liquor, you better partake. Yep. Bye. <clears throat> Well, yeah. well, now we'll go. We'll go to another poser. Who, uh, you know, are you bald or do you have fucking hair? Goddamn, Joe Lynn Turner. Did, did you see that scary shit on the fucking interweb? I mean, the guy's been wearing a wig since the seventies, man, and it was so obvious too, you know. Yeah, I, I didn't know, but then again, I thought George Michael was straight. I've got horrible gaydar and baldar. I guess. Oh man, to think that George Michael was straight. Your gaydar is totally broken. You need to you need to get that in fixed. Hey man, the motherfucker's prettier than most women. I'm thinking, oh, he can have any chick he wants. This lucky bastard. You don't even have to sing good music. You can just get all the ass he wants. Really? You, you know, watched, what? You watched Wham and said, "Wow, these guys are totally straight." Yeah, man, that's just macho, man. Damn. <laughs> but uh, 
But Jolyn Turner, honestly, I didn't know uh, he was bald. But what's fucked up is he comes out as, uh, you know, I've got alopecia, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, and he puts that scary picture up with his bald head and his drawn-on eyebrows. But then when he goes and plays live, he puts the wig back on. Oh, he does? Yeah, you, you didn't hear about that? Yeah, no, ever since he's done that, he's gone and played shows, but when he plays a live show, he puts the wig back on. What? That's crazy. Yeah. Then he moved like, to Russia. Uh, well, fucking Marcus Welby. He married a Russian chick, and he's a he's a Russian apologist. Uh, you, you know, our country sucks. Putin is a good man. Blah blah blah. Russia has more freedom than the U.S. He's very very pro Russia. Uh, you know, well that's the only place that buys his albums though, too. You know, so that that might have a little bit, to, you know, that in the white. But uh, yeah, no, I, th- I think that's odd because I'm fine with like, hey, yeah, come out, you're bald. But then, you know, cats out the bag. Why, why would you get back on stage and put the wig back on? That's yeah, that is weird. Because honestly, I, I I wouldn't care to see Joe and Turner. But if he just took off his wig and played a show, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go see him bald and show up and go, what the fuck? He's wearing a wig. I came here to see a chime. <laughs> But, you know, it, there could be logistical reasons for that, too. Because, you know, when he comes out there, maybe, like, when the lighting rig hits it, it would blind the audience, you know, yeah, and then you can't true. see shit. So maybe he's doing it for the audience. I don't know. But I, I thought it was fucking weird. Make up your mind. But uh, another thing he did I thought was weird is he kind of attacked um, this last lineup of Rainbow that Blackmore went out with, calling him, like, you know, cheap imposters and stuff like that and it, it sullied the name of Rainbow of him going out there and playing with nobodies. But that's funny because that's the way I feel about Rainbow without Ronnie James Dio. You know? So, yeah, you know. yeah he's wants to talk. And you know, that, that Rainbow reunion, it was fine. I, I mean, it didn't set the world on fire and Richie Blackmore such a fake, he just let it go. But that footage, that guy could sing, man. That was a good performance. I mean, it wasn't like, wow, this is amazing, Rainbow's back. But it was like, hey, he went up there and did the songs like the songs. You know, what the fuck? What, what are you complaining about? And I love yeah. Joe Turner, don't get me wrong. I love, well, I love the era. I don't love him. I, I don't know much about him. But the era of Rainbow he was in, I love that stuff. Everything he did after, I didn't like. Not even that Ingray album. Right, but I mean, he did the same thing that this other guy, this Ronnie Romero's doing, you know? He joined a band where he's not the original guy and he's singing that guy's songs. This guy's just doing the same thing and he had an opportunity the same way fucking Joe Lynn Turner did and he's still milking his name off the Rainbow days. So well, like- Joe Lynn Turner joined Rainbow where there was not one single member of the Dio era in there. You think about it. It came close with, with Cozy because you didn't play on Difficult to Cure. Every member on Difficult to Cure was not during the Dio years. They were during the Grand Bonnet years. So he joined Rainbow with no original members, but you know, if you really want to get technical, I mean, even the second Rainbow album had a different drummer and bass player and keyboardist, you know? Right, yeah. But, but to me, they're all, if it, whoever joins Rainbow, it, it's no, like the Dio's band, yeah. They're disposable. They, they, Richie has this thing that he just likes to get rid of people. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's got asshole pee shit. 
All right, well, uh, here's somebody we, we know and love who just put out a new album. And full disclosure, I haven't heard the whole thing. Uh, but Ozzy's Patient Number 9. Have either of you guys heard it all the way through yet? Yeah. You have, no, I haven't. Uh, I heard one song that was decent. I've heard probably four songs. I only liked one. And I, the last one, I it was just a bit lighter. I just it didn't care at all. But anyways. What did you think, Ralph? I didn't care for it. Better than the last one, but wow, what achievement that must be, huh? Yeah. But well, it's, I'm, I'm, I, I just don't dig it. I'm kind of in the same boat as you. Uh, I got it. I listened to maybe three songs in their entirety. And then, you know, I did some skipping around. And uh, pretty much the same thing. I, I think it's much better than than Ordinary Man. But it's, you know, he's going for this modern sound. He's got to lose this fucking uh, Andrew Watt, who, you know, I think Ozzy's trying to sell it with, you know, look at all the guest guitar players who are on this album. But what it comes down to is the songwriting. And the song, right? You know, it's still getting ripped by this this Andrew Watt guy, which again I don't understand because he was so good on that California Breed album uh, he did with Glenn Hughes and Jason Bonham. But this this modern take on Ozzy, and I had to laugh. I saw a comment on YouTube. This guy put, "Wow, Ozzy sounds just like he did back in the day." <laughs> like, that's called auto tunes, you fucking ignoramus. Uh, right. You know, but it's like, if you stack these songs, I don't care, like, oh, it's better than Ordinary. You put that shit up against Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman, it, it's not the same Ozzy. He, get Bill Daisley back before he dies, and, and, a, and a good guitar player, and maybe then we can talk. Or Bob. Yeah. He said, <clears throat> he said Bill Daisley. Yeah, yeah, well, get him too. Get them both. <laughs> the Daisley Brothers. Yeah, he's got the money. He can afford it. Uh, yeah, I just like... Uh, I don't know. I mean, call me crazy, but here's another idea I have. How about Ozzy just stop making albums? Bam, bam, bam. I like that. I like that idea more. Look, bottom line, the legacy of Ozzy Osbourne will always be the Randy years, and to an extent, lesser extent, the 80s stuff. Wasn't No More Tears 80s as well? Or maybe no, 90s? No. no. Alright. That was recorded the same day as uh, Guns N' Roses' Usual Illusion 1 came out. Okay, so... That was like 91, I think? Basically, yeah. No More Tears and Down is his musical legacy with Black Sabbath. Nobody cares about anything after that. I mean, it doesn't have the same impact. Yes, sure, there are those quote-unquote, those I want to be that guy that would say Down to Earth is the best Ozzy album and shit like that. You know what I mean? Uh, but <laughs> the history will show that, you know, I mean, come on, man. I mean, looking back at let's, let's stick with some bands here. There's a lot of bands that, you know, they're no longer around, but you just remember them for the like, first couple albums, you know? Uh, Quiet Riot, for example. After even Condition Critical's talked about because it's so bad. But still, I mean, all those terrified and all those other, that's that's Ozzy, man. Everybody's gonna remember 80s Ozzy. And that's how I'm gonna remember it. 
because all this shit, man, I was a little, I was very depressed during Ordinary Man. Listen to this new one, even though it is an improvement, it's kind of like, I love Ozzy too much for him to waste his energy. The guy has one foot in the, in the grave, you know? It's like, let him, yep. let him just enjoy the rest of his life. Did you see, look, you want to know how pathetic it is now for Ozzy? Did you see, I know the, the, the football game only showed a couple seconds, but the football game, and he did another performance with Tony Iommi somewhere. Yeah. Both those performances, he had a stick in back of him, one of those things that he doesn't fall over. Look at it closely. In back of him, he has one of those, you know what they use, like when Kiss comes down off those little pods, they all yeah. have that little back piece holding them so they don't fall off the pod. Well, Ozzy has that when he's just on stage. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, it's gotten to the point where it's like, oh my God, it's like watching you, your, your dad get abused and you can't do his thing. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. And both performances were obviously lip sync. So now you know that's going to be Ozzy's thing for now. Ozzy, Ozzy probably saying, God, what have this tape been all my life? Because you know how many shitty performances that guy's done? Even back in the 80s where he could hardly sing. You know? No. Well, I don't know if you saw the thing about, you know, people complaining because they only showed 10 seconds on the on the Thursday night football game. Yeah. Uh, that's because somebody put in the wrong tape and all of a sudden Ozzy was doing Detroit Rock City. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they had to Damn. grab away. The guy grabbed the wrong tape. Oh, man. Uh, have you heard the new Striper song, Transgressor? Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's yeah. classic heavy metal striper, you know, with a lot of high screens and shit. The guy, the guy from Firehouse hasn't brought him down a peg? Nah, I mean, I, you know what? He's I saw striper with him. And yeah. honestly, him and Tim Gaines, I mean, what do they bring to the band? You know? They're just solid bass players. I mean, yeah, you hear some good uh, riffs Tim Gaines did on the, on the EP, but... After that, he's become like like Gene Simmons, you know? It's like, you're a good bass player, but you gotta dumb it down. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, I love it. I lo I'm loving all these Striper albums that are coming out now. They're, they're phenomenal. I'm, I'm just really, really into it, you know? What's really weird about this new Striper, though, they've, really, they've already released three singles and still no pre-order, and I think it's coming out in October. It's like, well, what's the pre-orders? Yeah. Well, maybe you should pray on it. Ah, good one. <laughs> God won't listen to me. My favorite band's Merciful Fate and Black Sabbath. I'm Oh, yeah. You're fucked. <laughs> All right. Well, Ozzy Osbourne says Randy Rhodes didn't have a nice thing to say about Eddie Van Halen. I saw this article and I totally believe it. Yeah? Oh, yeah, because they were rivals. You know? And if go ahead, uh, I was just gonna say if if you had to pick one, I, I know you love them both. If if you had to pick one, who who's your favorite between those two? Eddie Van Halen. Oh, okay, and Randy would be my second favorite. I'll tell you right now. Yeah. How about how about you, Wayne? As far as your question, or the uh, who's the, better, Eddie or Randy? Story. Well, who, who's, 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 oh. who's your favorite, Eddie or, or Randy? Oh, 
It's well, first of all, Eddie has way more awesome volume wise as far as many, you know, number of uh, Randy Rhodes has two amazing albums, Eddie has six. So, and uh, I in 1978 when I fell in love with Eddie, were Van Halen and Van Halen as a kid. Um, you know, I didn't know who the fuck Randy Rhodes was, I didn't know who he was until a few years later. So Edward crushes Randy Rhodes. Yeah, I, w- I would have to agree with you guys. I'm definitely uh, on Eddie's side. But, I, I mean, I love Randy. But Randy does lean towards uh, hey, the classical. And, and, and that turns that turns me off. I don't like the classical shit. But, uh, I mean, he was an incredible talent. But, you know, Bill, you hit on a great point, you know. With Randy, you've got two shitty... Quiet Ride albums, and then you got two really great albums with Ozzy. So it is hard to judge. Uh, but you know, I, I I was it was interesting to see the comments on Blabbermouth, which are always like, "Oh my God, here's the bottom of the barrel. Here's the people living in Tent City." Are the people who comment on fucking <laughs> Blabbermouth? Um, but you know, it, it's apples and oranges, two different styles. Uh, I, I know which one I prefer. You know, they're saying, oh, God, technically, Randy's so much better. I, I don't care. It's about songwriting. And I, I think Eddie was a much better songwriter, you know, when he had Dave helping him out. Um, but who knows what Randy could have achieved. They're both great guitar players. Uh, you know, but it, it all goes back to Randy didn't like Black Sabbath, and I, I don't trust that. It's just like somebody who doesn't drink. You know, and Edward loved Edward loved Black Sabbath, but but maybe maybe Ralph should drink every once in a while. What am I? Uh, my my wife is is obsessed with the show. She has been listening to. She knows more about this show than all three of us. And she asks me questions all the time. I'm like I don't fucking know. I was drunk, but she recently listened to the the drunken drunker episode where Ralph Ralph passed out on the show. Uh, uh, and she absolutely loved it, and uh, and she loves her some Bill Wang. She was all excited I was recording with you tonight. So nice. I know she, she can't wait to meet you. Yeah, I uh, can't wait to meet her, brother. Fuck yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We'll drink her under the table though. She doesn't drink like we do. <laughs> As we do. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> but few, few do. Few do and live to tell about it. Exactly. But, all right, next story. And uh, I, I kind of know where Ralph is going to be right off the bat with this, but I, I kind of want to go into, like, pretend never, never land. Uh, Vinny Apice, when asked why, you know, why he wasn't inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he said because they're a bunch of fucking assholes. And we all know that the legitimate Rock and Roll Hall of Fame hates heavy metal, you know, they, they have no respect for hard rock and metal. The only way you get in there is if you sold a lot of records. But, you know, say there was like a legitimate, true, you know, Hall of Fame that, that showed respect for metal uh, and Black Sabbath is inducted, you know, where do you draw the line uh, you know, with a band like Sabbath that's had so many members, 
Well, I draw the line. I draw the line at the Dio era because the Dio era had an impact on on culture as well as the original one. Hey, you know, I and I know it's very controversial for me to say, but I think Born Again is the best Sabbath album after the Oz years, and I still don't think that lineup belongs in the Hall of Fame because it didn't have an impact at all. It was pretty much a flop. So the Dio era, uh, including Apathy. Uh, down. Right. Well, well, you know, it brings up an interesting point because, I mean, when people talk about the Dio era, the one that really stands out, the one that they really praise is Heaven and Hell, which he's not on, you know, and he's on Mob Rules, which, you know, we, we all love Mob Rules, but the one that really made the impact would be Heaven and Hell. And it's an interesting thing on where where do you lay the line on who can get in? Because there's part of me that says, fuck it. If you're in the band and that band's in, you should be in the Hall of Fame because you are a member of that band. But then you got to you know, do the flip side of that, say KISS. I believe more members of KISS should be in the Hall of Fame than the original four. But should Tommy Thayer be in the fucking Hall of Fame? Because he's been the longest guitar player of Kiss, no. So it's it's kind of a, a weird gray area. What do you think, Bill Wayne? Um, thought-provoking question and a great question. I have an answer. I think if you include all that crazy stuff, where you know this, that, and everything was singing for Sabbath uh, post Born Again, then I don't I don't respect that. So my qu- my answer is up to Born Again. A, it still went gold back in the day. B, they did playing uh, arenas, and C, it's fucking amazing. So the trajectory was going down south to the devil, but it still had enough commercial pull to pull off those two specific things. Which is something, and it certainly was something in the fall of 1983. Well, I, I I know I played arenas, but when it came my way, I played Sunrise Musical Theater. It's it's not that big. Um, where Mob Rules was at the at the arena. That's why I would draw the line at Mob Rules, and I like Born Again more. But I'm just being I'm talking about impact in the music world. Mob Rules was huge. You know, maybe, you know, yeah, maybe it was off the strength of heaven and hell, but Mob Rules was selling out arenas everywhere. A lot of people think that Ozzy came out of the gate and destroyed Black Sabbath. It was after Dio left that Ozzy really took off and people started talking about, wow, he's doing way better than than Sabbath. But when Dio was in the band, no, but everybody thought, especially during a Diet of a Madman, all right, it was even. But nobody was thinking Ozzy was doing better than Sabbath when Dio was in Sabbath because they were still massive. In fact, uh, in in Florida standpoints, I saw Heaven and Hell tour at the Miami Highlight, which is not even, it's probably the third of the size of the sportatorium where Mob Rules played. So it shows you how their popularity soared, you know, after Dio joined, you know? So, and then Born Again, which I like more, it just didn't have the same impact. Well, if you if you specifically in that context, you're spot on. I agree totally. 
So maybe I'm give maybe it's a contrarian view of a sense that I'm giving Born Again a little bit more love than I should. But you know, uh, it's cool. It's your opinion. I'm just I just want to bring up the point that well, I didn't play arenas everywhere because down here I didn't. You know. Okay, for the most part they did though, and for the yeah, most yeah. part they were only half filled. I get that, you know, but uh, but no, it, technically speaking, mob rules is the the real answer. But for me, you know, I think they were still commercially viable. That they were still doing what I said they were doing, and it did go gold. And to repeat myself, and they did play uh, arenas, and yes, they're half filled, but. They weren't, you know. I don't know. I just maybe, and I just have a, such a, a soft spot for that fucking album as you do, and I'm sure it's also. But anyways, let, let me let me throw this to you then. Uh, okay, if we go up to Born Again, do you induct Bev Bevan? He didn't play on Born Again. No, but he did the tour. So uh, Apathy did the Heaven and Hell tour. He did half. No, he did. He did the whole. Dude, Bill Ward only did a handful of dates in England. He did the whole American tour. When I saw Tavern, it was with Apathy. Okay, well, we all agree that Tommy Thayer shouldn't be in for Kiss, right? <laughs> yeah, sorta. <laughs> sorta. I don't think any of them should be in Kiss already. Stop. <laughs> yeah, no shit. That, there's your money answer right there. Alright, next story. Now, this one really cracked me up. Uh, a, a recent member, uh, recent member, a recent uh, attendee at a Motley Crue concert was freaking out when Tommy Lee asked audience members, male audience members, to whip out their genitalia. And he said it was totally disgusted, and he felt so bad for his nine-year-old son who was with him. Uh, you know, it's, oh, there's no place for that. I'm like, man, you're at a Motley Crue concert. You're already torturing your son. What do you care if he sees some dicks? And Tommy Lee pretty much said the same thing. Uh, don't take a fucking nine-year-old to a Motley Crue concert. I, I tell you what. Don't take a fucking 40-year-old to a Motley Crue concert. <laughs> Don't take anybody to a Motley Crue concert. Not even yourself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. You know, just the fact that he takes his nine-year-old son to a Motley Crue concert, it's a shame a big old hard-on didn't hit his eye. <laughs> he get, like, dick slapped by 10 dudes. <laughs> I... You know, I, I do not feel like those type of concerts are any place for a child, you know? Plus, you know, you take a nine-year-old to a Motley Crue concert, you're going to turn them off to rock and roll forever. And chicks. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Tommy Lee ended up, like, going off on this guy, calling him a pussy, and Motley Crue shows have always been like that, you know, a bunch of dicks, <laughs> you know? And I agree with him. But uh, what, what, I, I mean, abomination this Motley Crue thing is, though. Have you seen this? I mean, this footage is just pathetic. I can't believe anybody can watch that and say, oh, that's good. But then again, nobody, all these viewers that look at that and say, oh, that's good. You didn't see Motley Crue, the Motley Crue I saw. You didn't see the theater painting shot of the devil toy. That was Motley yeah. Crue. Yeah, when Ralph saw him, the dicks were hard and the balls were tight. 
You know, now all the balls are hanging down to their knees. And exactly. Great pubes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have a bunch of great pubes. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, but but it's not a fucking it's not Chuck E. Cheese. You know, it, it, it's not a family outing. It's rock and roll. It should be dangerous. There should be illegal drugs. There should be fights. There should be nudity. You know, that, that's what rock and roll was, you know, and then it turned into an event where now you can get kicked out for smoking a fucking cigarette. And I, I think it's just ridiculous. There's nothing dangerous about it. A concert should be dangerous, unpredictable fun. Not yeah. fucking oh, fun, Disney. Yeah. We live that's in a different favorite. world, Ian. Our, you know, that's not one thing, man. All those rock fans, just, just let it go already. We, we, we live the golden age. We're not going to get all that killer shit no more. The whole environment of this country and the people and the woke generation and this ruined it. Therefore, we, the shows that we saw as kids, it's over, Johnny. It's over. Unless you go to a club show. That's where it still lives and thrives. Because clubs don't let kids in. Right. What do you think, Wang? Uh, the whole thing with Molly Crew, you know, the thing that pisses me off is everybody bringing up Eddie Trunk in particular, and a lot of his listeners. Oh, they keep bringing up uh, Tommy Lee's age, uh, pulling off those antics that he does. It's like people that are offended by that and keep bringing up his age. They offend me more than the act. I mean, is it pathetic that the guy's, you know, up there, whether he's 20 or 60, it doesn't matter to me. I think it's kind of a joke. But the people that are so offended, those people are scary, and I think they should be euthanized. Hell yeah. Yeah, you, you know, know, fuck, you know, I get it all the time myself. You know, my age on YouTube with all the crazy stuff I say. But... The difference between me and Molly Crew, at least I'm being myself. Tommy Lee's up there thinking he is 18 years old, and he's from the ghetto, you know, and and you know a DJ and all that. Yeah, I'm sorry, it offends me. <laughs> well, I I tell you, I'm glad this offended uh, Motley Crew fan wasn't at the Revolting Cock show I went to, because I went my cock out at a show. I went and saw the Revolting Cocks at a club. And uh, the lead singer is like, you know, uh, all these rock and roll shows, chicks are whipping out their tits. Let's see who's a real man. Whip out your fucking dick. And I'm drunk as shit. I'm like, fuck yeah. And I whip out my dick, started shaking it around. And then I realize I'm the only guy doing it. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> and, and then at the end, I met the band and they signed some shit for me. And they go, Ian's gay, just like we like. <laughs> you like, got me. But God damn it, there should be a bunch of titties swinging dicks and drugs at a rock and roll show. But what I'm excited about is, you know, this Motley Crew. remember they officially retired and they were never going to play again. They're already talking about a 2024 tour, including a third Las Vegas residency. And I tell you what, the only way you're gonna get me to go to that is if Vince Neil drives out drunk on stage and hits one of Siegfried and Roy's tigers. Yeah. Like if he if he could kill them while driving drunk on stage, I would go to Vegas and hear him fucking butcher kickstart my heart. You know, now that's rock and roll. And then he'll beat up uh, Siegfried and Roy because he likes to beat up women. 
No, then I want to see Brandon beat up Tommy Lee with his dick. You know, like yeah. like just grab, have Brandon go on stage while he's singing Brandon. Grab Tommy Lee by the dick and hit him upside the head with it. It'll reach. You know, just grab his dick and beat the shit out of his dad. Now that I would pay money. Oh well, you know his dad'll enjoy that. <laughs> oh shit. All right, let's see. Do we have any more stories, or is it time to get into this album? Uh, as I'm looking, I say, fuck it. Let's get into the album, and Ralph picked this one, and, and he picked Yeah, a couple. I saw the Scorpions. Oh, okay. And they were awesome. That was my review. And tomorrow, no, Monday, I'm going to go see the Bay Area Strikes Back again. And nice. and I'm taking Will to Rock and Roll Ribs. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, and that's, you, that'll be a future review. Are you going to travel to go see Merciful Fate? I see there's no Florida dates. Nope. No, I have no interest. I only have interest if it's uh, at least two hours away from me because it hurts me, man, to see Michael Denner out there. But... I will say that whacking footage, holy mackerel, they're good. They are good. Yeah. But it's not it's it's not a travel thing for me because number one reason, I've seen them, you know, without Kim Ruz, but yeah. I in the shadows, I saw the ninth. Yeah. So I, if I never seen King before, yeah, I'd go to Atlanta. You know, that's the closest it's coming yeah. But like a lot of shows like Bay Area Strikes Back, they add dates. They might come down here. So I ain't going to waste my time going to Atlanta if it ends up coming here. So if, it, if it'll play like West Palm Beach, I'll go. That's as far as yeah. I No, I'm pissed there's no Seattle dates either for that because I've never got to see Merciful. So I'm up But uh, all right, we'll get in the album. And as I was saying, Ralph not only picked this album but he says you know the perfect guy for this and fuck yeah it's bill wang we're picking master of puppets we're talking big numbers here god damn it bill wang numbers metallica numbers this is a motherfucking win-win if i've ever heard of one and i would like bill to go first and talk about master of puppets you know when he discovered this you know his whole thing with metallica because I think Wayne's probably got the most, you know, crazy uh, experience with this. Because, I mean, they, they're they a hometown band for Bill Wayne. This had to be an amazing time. Were you a fan when this album came out already, Bill? Um, no, I wasn't. I was turned on to Metallica, <clears throat> I would say, probably between Thanksgiving and Christmas of 1984. Uh, Chubby turned me on to him. William Clare. Chubby. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, at that time, this was, you know, late 84. My 1984 albums were 1984, Van Halen, uh, Defenders of the Faith, Judas Priest, uh, Power Slave, Iron Maiden. And then this dropped, and it was like unlike anything i'd ever heard before because it was like 10 billion times heavier oh and then rush uh grace under pressure was also a big album of mine in 84 and uh so anyways uh yeah uh, he just plopped in this tape 
and it sounded so different and so wild and crazy and different and um that's how my metallica thing started and then i saw him finally the day on the green 85 uh opening for scorpions rat yt ingve malmstein and then metallica and then a band called victory and then new year's eve 85 turning into 86 um metallica megadeth metal church uh, exodus uh, yeah it was amazing and then finally opening up for ozzy uh ultimate centaur june um 17 uh, 1986 and yeah my whole thing with metallica started after ride the lightning uh, obviously the same year the album came out and then obviously the first album i bought brand new was this album master of puppets so there you go right no but that that's what i asked you were already a fan when the, when this came out oh yeah 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 yeah. but yeah. i didn't buy ride the lightning brand new so i can't right be fake and say oh yeah man i was there since day one i got this demo oh. back no fuck that i'm gonna be real okay. yeah the first brand new metallica record i got so yeah, when Master of Puppets came out March 3rd of 86, I've been a fan for probably 15, 16 months. Right. But it was did you have like this like like sense of pride because they were a San Francisco band? Was that a big deal in San Francisco with Metallica? It was for the the civilians that are based here, but I have always been anti this area because my heart and soul is Boston, Massachusetts, and every aspect of my life. Um, even though I moved here, you know, forty something years ago, and this has basically been my home. But nah, I didn't feel that at all. But yeah, a lot of people did, I guess. So yeah. Right on, Ralph. I, I know you were already a fan. Was this something? Did you know this album was coming out? You know, did you read about it, or it just came out? And you're like, oh shit, I got to get the new Metallica. No, I knew it was coming. Well, I didn't know the date it was coming out, but I knew they were working on it from reading on magazines. But I, I I'm a little. Uh, I I believe I bought this like right when it came out, but I'm not sure because I do remember seeing a quarter of a page advertisement for Master of Puppets, black and white. By the way, you know they have money then. Uh, advertising in a magazine. Now, I don't remember if that made me buy it, like run out and buy it, or I bought it before that, but I probably did buy it before, because I would always go to record stores, like basically every weekend. And the first weekend I saw that Master of Puppets, I picked it up, but yeah, I, I was, uh, this was like a, a crossroads in my life too with friends, because in 84, late 84, 85, I moved to Miami Beach and all my headbanging friends back then turned on bands like Metallica, Exciter, Venom, Merciful Fate, like all that stuff I would bring. They would be like, ew, where just a couple prior, a couple years prior, they, I, they, they were into Raven and Manowar, you know, and, and Priest and, and stuff like that. And I'm like, damn. By the way, it's thundering outside. I don't have gas. And so, so that causes the, the vision. But oddly enough, lucky for me, I mean, it's just a weird coincidence that when I moved to the beach, uh, the friends I made in Beach High were into what I was into. 
where the Hialeah crew went, Bon Jovi, you know, and all the, the glitter, glittery stuff. And uh, But here's the thing. I'll never forget this guy called Frank. And it was Master of Puppets I was playing. He's like, oh, man, what are you playing that? That trash metal. He didn't even say thrash. That trash metal, like bashing me for liking shit like that. That's just noise. Well, guess what? A year later, or two years later, when one became a popular hit, I bumped into the guy at uh, at, at uh, Unjustice for All Tour. And I was like, oh, now you're into the, now it's not trash metal, is it? Oh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't wait to, like, this was pre uh, uh, Enter Sandman, which makes him even a bigger poser, you know? Big time. Yep. So, yeah, I've always been into it. I, I think Master of Puppets is a masterpiece. I think it's hands down the greatest Metallica album. And I don't think they've done anything better since uh, or before. And I will say my favorite Metallica song is on here. Massive monster tune. I love this album so much. And it has aged well and I still play it. I played it today, man. Cranked it today, actually. The 180 gram from the box set that costs like fucking $900 now. That Master of Puppets box set goes for an $800, $900 now. Yep. I, 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 and, you know, just to close it out, I, I love it. All right. Well, I've talked about this before. The, the first time I ever heard Metallica was on the way to my cousin's funeral. And I heard Fight Fire with Fire. And I heard rumblings about this band. Like, there, there's nothing heavier than this, you know. And I heard, you know, that instrumental intro to Fight Fire with Fire. I'm like, ah, this ain't shit. You know, this is like that Cinderella I'm listening to. And then it kicked in and scared the living shit out of me. And uh, yeah, I didn't run right out and buy Ride the Lightning. I'm like, oh, hell no. But you kept hearing more and more at my school about, uh, you know, Metallica. And especially uh, once this album came out and they were coming to town with Ozzy. That was a big deal. I remember I was in junior high and there was a lot of kids, you know, the school I went to was so small that the high school and the junior high was one building. Um, so you would hear all the kids talking about it. That was a big deal. They were going to see Ozzy and Metallica. And um, I was like, man, I, I might need to check this out. And, and I went with my dad to the mall and puppets had came out. And I, it definitely wasn't like a first day. It might have been a couple months later. I was like, all right, I, I'm going to get this shit. And I bought the cassette, and my dad had other shopping to do. I was like, Dad, can I have the keys and go out to the car? And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And so I took the tape, went and sat in the car, and, and battery started. And it was the same thing again, you know, that, that soft intro. I was like, yeah, this, this ain't so scary. What's everybody freaking out about? And then battery kicked in, and I was like, holy shit. But um, it wasn't long till I was hooked. And, uh, you know, but there was still like an element of scary. I always say that, you know, really my gateway thrash band was Anthrax because of Joey Belladonna, because of his vocals. That was kind of like a middle ground for me. But it wasn't long after that, like Metallica, I, I fully got into it. And it was just what an amazing time. And there was a mystery around Metallica because you didn't see them on an MTV. There's, there's no videos. 
There was very few kids who had a Metallica shirt on. And if they did, you knew they were the dangerous kids. They were the kids who went out and smoked and punch. <laughs> you know, there was no, you know, you could see anybody in a Van Halen t-shirt or a Motley Crue shirt, but if somebody wore a Metallica shirt, like, oh, yeah, you knew they worshipped the fucking But, yeah, it didn't take long for this to set with me, and, and I was just blown away. And, you know, at this time, my whole world was Kiss. But this was like, you know, just another level. And, uh, God damn, listening to it today, I listened to it. I watched a documentary on it. I listened to the, the whole album twice. And, uh, God, th this is a perfect album. Probably one of the greatest albums we've ever talked about on this podcast. Because, spoiler alert, there, there is no bad moment on this album. There's no weak fucking track. This is as good as metal gets. And, uh... I think that's, that's part of the reason where, for as much bad as Metallica's done, it will never erase the greatness, in my opinion, of the of the first three albums. I mean, it's just, it changed fucking metal. Uh, to me, they're just as important as Black Sabbath. Uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, I'm not going to say they were the, the first thrash band, but they were the most important thrash band. And they always will be, even though they abandoned thrash very quickly. In the, in the grand scheme of things, you look at their career, their thrash career was very short-lived. But what they did with it set the template for everything. And in the case of this, I don't think any thrash band has ever put out an album as good as Master of Puppets. Fucking phenomenal. But... You're not here to hear. You're not here to hear me bullshit. You're here to hear Bill Wang. So Bill Wang, you take the first fucking track, battery. Uh, first, let me respond to your interesting and at times spot on analysis. Um, I agreed with what you said mostly. There's a couple things you're off base, but anyways. I digress. Uh, Master of Puppets. Let me just say something before I get into battery. Master of Puppets was so good that a lot of fans never forgave them. And I'm specifically referring to the fans that were a little bit younger in ages of the band back then. Like me and Ralph. You know, people that experienced it in real time. The Cliff era. You know, and I, not to repeat myself, but Master of Puppets was so good that a lot of fans never forgave them. And it's so, if you think about it, it's spot on. How could you get better than this? You can't. I love all Metallic albums, as you both know. I've done, you know, great episodes. The Load Reload series, that was a masterful, you know. And I'm more of a Metallica fan. And I'm like more of a Scab Kiss uh, Metallica guy. Or the Scab Kiss fan. Everything is great, you know. You know, no matter what, you know, not that I say everything's great with Metallica, and this is the last perfect Metallica record. And I, Justice, I love that album, but um, I, I just can't say enough about what this album sounded like to people um, back then when it came out March 3rd, if it did. I don't remember exactly, but that's what the Wikipedia says. It was so 
fucking different for me as a still a teenager it was so wild because i wasn't you know i i i was in the maiden um in saxon but really not all those other you know off i don't know like new wave of british heavy metal bands um, admittedly i wasn't you know i was too young i guess whatever but um this album oh my fucking god it was like holy sh- I mean, Hetfield Lars composition, five minutes and 43 seconds. The beginning is epic. Uh, the flamingo guitar, then the fucking bam, bam, bam. That Hammett solo, fabulous and furious. Um, when this album was brand new, like I said previously, it, it literally blew away 95% of metal fans at the time. Because no way in fucking hell, no way, Jose, can anybody say that they uh, was that anything previous to this that they heard it was just it was in in, in compared to Ride the Lightning, it was just way more bottom end and it was more thumpy and just it was like way heavier, less high. Uh, anyways, man, this album is amazing. Battery. Um, Five out of five chopsticks and one bottle of fucking soy sauce. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What can you say, man? It starts with the kind of old cowboy-sounding little guitar thing. Um. But unlike unlike uh, Ride the Lightning, Fire Fire with Fire, which is a song I like, is probably my second favorite Metallica song after. A song coming up on this album. But what makes that one a little more safer than this is that Fight Fire with Fire almost sounds like Disneyland. Where this is like a dark, brooding, western type thing. It's like, it's dark. It's dark. I think it's as heavy as the rest of the album, really. Even though it starts very slow, but there's an ominous kind of like, you know, calm before the storm type feel to this. Where Fight Fire with Fire just hits you out of nowhere. It's like, holy shit, Mickey Mouse just got ripped to shreds, you know? We're here, it's kind of... You hear that thunder going on outside? Yeah. Yeah! yeah. Holy shit! It's brutal. Wow. It's coming down wow. over there. Uh, anyway. Holy. So, yeah, I love it, man. Battery, and it's just a thrashy masterpiece, really. It's it, it's amazing, you know? It'd probably, it'd probably be in my top five. Probably number five on my list of all-time greatest Metallica songs. It's awesome. I love it. Cool. Right on. Respect. Respect. Ian? Yeah. I, I love this one. Every time I hear it, no matter what, you know, it always takes me back to that first day sitting in the mall parking lot hearing it in 86 and just being blown away. Uh, one thing I, I had no idea about until I watched this documentary is Hetfield said he was talking about Battery Street in san francisco i didn't know that i didn't know that is that or you know wayne you should know is that where like ruthie's was and all that and, yeah like, yeah there there was okay. yeah it was i i had no idea you know i just thought like battery you know like assault and battery you know just like all right, right, gonna, right. you know we're gonna kick your ass you know you know because that's what the song is it's so fucking pummeling and you know to this grandpa this is my metallica this is my fucking Metallica, and it's just so 
fucking pummeling. And, and that's one thing I'm glad that, you know, I was there when this came out. I bought this, you know, within, you know, relative to release date. So I came up with this album. And, and I think that is. That's why it's harder for me with the other shit. Where, you know, as my son came up with, like, Load. And it, it you know, and if you like that, great you know and you go back and you like the other stuff i can see where you're more accepting just like with iron maiden my first album was somewhere in time and i liked that so it was easy for me to to not only like that but you know love what came before it but i get now with you know when you come up with a band when you're there for everything and you see them hit that peak and then they go down I, I think it's harder for fans like that than it is for people who come later. And if you latch onto any era, then you just accept everything. But if you're there from the beginning or close to the beginning, I, I think it is harder. And that's why I have a really hard time, you know, with post and justice for all Metallica, even though there is some I like. Uh, but I mean, I came on at their fucking peak. I think this is the best Metallica album by far. It's not my favorite. My favorite is Ride the Lightning. Uh, but just like, you know, we've talked about ACDC. I admit, the best Brian Johnson album by far is Back in Black. But I prefer uh, for those about to rock. But I know it's I, I know it's not as good as Back in Black, but it is my favorite. It's the same way with Metallica. Metallica... This is the greatest thing they've ever done, even though I prefer Red to Light. But by a small, you know, smidgen. Uh, but th this is incredible. And, and to me, you know, Ralph has talked about this before. Back then, nobody was bitching about Lars. So to me, Lars sounds amazing on this. No, and, 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 and Lars back then was the fan favorite. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, and I can get that because, you know, Lars was the mouthpiece. You know, Lars is great in interviews. You know, he's got personality. He's got all this. And especially back then, because he was metal to the fucking bone. You know, he got all arty farty in the fucking 90s and got a lot more annoying. But back then, he was the guy, you know, he's talking about all these cool hip bands nobody else knows about. And he was metal to the fucking core. But I love his drumming on this. And I, I think it's funny Looking back now, you know, you hear all these stories about how he came close to getting booted out of Metallica on this tour. But to, to my ears, when I listen to his drumming out of here, I've got no complaints. Now, of course, on some later day shit, yeah, but that's, you know, as Bill Wayne would say, Monday morning quarterback, you know, a revisionist history motherfucker. But back, back here, nobody was bitching about Lars. They're like, fuck yeah. Now... He was, if you look at the other four, he's he's the weakest drummer out of the big four in Thrash, by far. But still, what he does on this is fucking incredible. And what an opener. What a way to just, like, holy shit. I mean, it's fucking battery. And it, it's goddamn amazing. I love it. What a way to kick this off. Then we go into the title track. God damn. The fucking... You know, the, the crunch of this fucking song and that right hand of fucking Hatfield. Oh, my God. And the perfect tone. 
you know, you know people who who praise you know what Bob Rock did with this band and how he polished them. Get the fuck out of here. The best production this band ever had was Fleming Rasmussen. You ask me. I don't think any Metallic album sounds as good as Ride the Lightning and 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 Master of Puppets. And I'm not I'm not talking about you know song wise. Even though I, I think those are stronger songs, I'm saying production wise and the way they sound. They never sounded greater than with Fleming Rasmussen. And uh, an another thing I found out today, I had no fucking idea, is they were trying to get Getty Lee to produce this album. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I can't even imagine what the fuck that would have sounded like. It didn't work out because of uh, Getty's commitments to Rush. But, oh, oh, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm glad it didn't happen, and I love Rush. I fucking love Rush. But I, I can't yep. picture anybody but Fleming Rasmussen. But what gives this album a little bit extra shine, I believe, is not only Fleming Rasmussen, the songs themselves, <clears throat> but also the mixing of Michael Wagner, who, you know, comes from a cock rock history. But I think he put the perfect, like, amount of shine and brightness onto this without making it glossy, like Bob Rock did. Bob Rock, you know, made everything too polished and radio and shit like this. Where I think that the mix between Rasmussen and Wagner just gave that perfect, perfect sonics. You know, is the best way I can describe it. And I, and I have mixed feelings. That, I mean, this song is reborn now due to Stranger Things and a whole new generation of kids who wouldn't know Metallica from shit because they're not on MTV, they're they're not on radio that that kids listen to. Uh, you know, are discovering this shit, even though people are trying to cancel Metallica, which I think is hilarious, but a whole new generation is discovering this song, and it is just fucking perfect. Uh, and, and a song like this shows you how they were miles above their competition at the time, you know, of the other big four. And, I mean, yeah. Yeah, look, look at 86. I mean, you got fucking Rain and Blood. Which I love. I lo I love the rawness, the brutality of it. I mean, Slayer to me is you know the greatest thrash band. But Metallica was always a band that stretched out a little bit more, that had a little bit more to offer. I think this is the last point where they walked that fine line of you know reaching out but still staying thrash. I think after this they started going over too much. Uh, but just the, the songwriting here is is impeccable. I mean, you look at Megadeth at this time, they've got that amazing guitar work of Chris Poland and, and Dave Mustaine. And I still say Dave Mustaine's the best guitar player in all of thrash. But he couldn't hone it, hone it in the same way that Metallica could and, and, and could reach out. And this is just epic from beginning to end. It's... It's a flawless album, and this is a flawless song. Of course, this is the fucking title track. How could it not? Uh, I remember my best friend in high school. Uh, he he didn't like Metallica. He was a little scared of Metallica just because of the line, chop your breakfast on a mirror. He's like, oh, they're a drug band. And he was very much a jock at the time. I ain't listened to that, you know, fast forward two years, and he fucking loved them, you know, and, and, and weed for about two weeks. Uh, but, uh... I, I love this. Totally epic, awesome track. What do you think, Bill Wayne? 
Um, it's funny, I'm reading my little notes, and so I'm going to ignore what you just said about the recently huge, all of a sudden, fucking song, Batchy Crazy, appears in the top 40 in the Billboard Hot 200. Mind blowing. What the fuck? 36 years later, crazy, but, um, uh, for a personal connection, first time I ever saw this or heard this song even ever knew it existed was uh midnight january 1st 1986 and james hetfield came on stage drinking a heineken i remember it like it was yesterday man and uh our new album coming up and it was master of puppets and uh that's when this initial you know experience of the song um amazing i mean it's it's and you think about it it's played on classic rock radio throughout the world where there's nothing else that sounds like it it's by far the heaviest song that's played on heavy on uh, classic rock by like a billion and it stands out like a sore thumb and it's so amazing and um and awesome I love that aspect of the song. It's an amazing song. It's great. Uh, Hetfield, Lars, Burton, Hammock composition. Eight minutes and 36 uh, seconds. Five out of five chopsticks. Bottle of soy sauce. Crab rangoon. Egg roll. Whole bit. Amazing. Uh, uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, but they released uh, probably the greatest lyric video I've ever seen in my life to this song <clears throat> not so long because uh, of the strength of stranger things i guess the only thing i don't like a video there's a couple times guitars pop up and kind of look stupid but the rest of it it's like you know the crosses and the hands with the strings and some weird characters animated characters with the lyrics slashing and watching that video i was like can you imagine if this video was on mtv in 86 how <laughs> it would it would it would fuck everybody up. And, they, no. and it would have went platinum that year. Yep, yep. Because this video is so unique. I mean, but yeah, we've seen, we've all seen lyric videos before with little animations behind it. This one, I think, goes the extra mile. It really, I mean, it's awesome. But the guitars ruin it. I'm like, get these guitars off the screen when they start. It's like multiple guitars in a circle floating around. It's like, oh, this ruins it. But everything else is awesome. <clears throat> and yeah, what can I say that I haven't said before? That you guys haven't said. It's thrashy. It's, um, the lyrics can be, you know, uh, different subjects, really. It's not all about drug addiction. It's about uh, manipulation. It's about all, a bunch of things. Like each uh, verse had something different. And it was unique, man. And I love when it breaks down and... And uh, James and Kurt does that little mellow dual guitaring and then back to the crunch. Amazing song, man. It rules. All right, next one is The Thing That Should Not Be, which is the thing that should be on this album. Because this album, this this may be. See, this, this, this is what Cliff Burton always said back in the day. You don't have to be fast to be heavy. And this may be the head, well, Probably my favorite song off this album is Heavier, but this is like a close second. 
grinding, ominous. You, you feel like it's, there's, it's about a monster underwater. And it just really does, uh, really does like uh, bring these images in my head of like some creature that should not be that. Does he mention anywhere in the lyrics about being underwater? Because that's the vibe yes. I get from this. It does, right? Yes. Yes, okay, yes. that's why I was thinking that. Yeah, it's awesome. It's it's a perfect song about a monster. You know, it's uh, the music are is just as dark as the lyrics, and uh, I absolutely love it. I, I think maybe Cliff had a little more to do with the song than the other guys. I get a Cliff vibe from it. But yeah, I love the song. Thing that should not be, Bill. Oh my God, I mean, everything you just said, I shouldn't even have to babble on, but I'm still drinking, so I will. Um, oh my God, and if you th- oh my God, oh my God. You know, I love how it creeps along and then the crushing riffage, so fucking heavy. I mean, it's just, it's just a classic. And, and of course, the, the writings, and I don't know shit about this, but I think it would, it would be stupid for me not to say, the H.P. Lovecraft Cthulhu writings that the song is based on. You know, if you think about it, it really is. And I'm and like I said, I'm not Mr. Oh, I know everything about this, blah, blah, blah. I don't know shit about it, okay? But I know it exists. And when they were our age, Ralph, a little younger than, uh, younger than us, Ralph, but kind of, you know, two or three years younger than us, you know, we're coming up with all that crazy, those amazing lyrics and song structures and everything as young as they were that's mind-blowing because if you think about it maiden power slave they weren't 20 21 22 priest uh uh british steel through uh, defenders they weren't you know what i'm saying van halen yeah they were there's very few bands this age that produced classics i can't think of many van halen Metallica, and uh, if you guys could come up with a few others, I can't. It's usually in their mid, late 20s, very early 30s that they come up. Poison, poison, they're young. No, come on. Anyway, amazing, the thing that should not be is so fucking bad. Five out of five chopsticks, one bottle of soy sauce, and just a billion fucking egg rolls. Bam, bam, bam. Oh, oh, you know, and I I love the hold on. I love the lyric out from the ruins once possessed fallen city living death. And I read a little note. Sounds like my city of San Francisco circa today. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, I digress. Awesome, man. This is great. Who's next? Uh, Number four. Welcome to Sanitarium. I got got to do this one. Uh, This perfect fucking song the the fucking riff i love it, it's so sabbath so heavy yet dare i say trippy there's a, a trippy element to this and the the funny thing is there's a co-write to everybody but cliff burton yet it was very inspired by cliff burton just because how he introduced the writings of hp lovecraft to hetfield and uh, hetfield even talked about it said yeah because of what he turned us on to you know and he saw it as a logical extension of call of cthulhu you know but yet this time with lyrics and stuff this was the last song written for the album 
they they were in the studio and they're like fuck we need one more song and they went in there uh you know the others they had you know bones and skeletons of them but this one was purely created in the studio and look what they came up with uh i mean just absolutely fucking amazing that lurking beneath the sea oh man oh fuck it's so fucking good and you know like i go back to you know i i came on board with this album this was my you know other than my one time here in fight fire with fire this was the first metallic album i bought and you know you hear shit like this this is why i have a hard time going from shit like this to you know hero of the day kind of shit like oh hey what happened <laughs> you know that's a that, 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 that's not a drop off that you know that's a grand fucking canyon uh man th- this is just fucking perfect and the way this album flows from from the heaviness to you know and, and the fastest of battery to a, a song like master puppets that's all over the place has every aspect in it and then you come to something like this that is so like you know you see I shouldn't say you see, but you hear the roots of Sabbath and, and Sabbath-type riffs, but yet taking yep. it in a whole nother direction. I and agree. I would, I would say they are the most... Well, it, it, it's kind of hard because, you know, you got Sabbath, which, yeah, they're the pioneers. They started heavy metal. I think Judas Priest kind of perfected it. Well, you know, Metallica, to me, maybe not in, invented thrash, you know, but I mean, they were definitely there at the beginning, but they just took it to another level. And, and Metallica, the song is a, second big, Ian, Metallica is the second biggest, most important metal band of all time. They have superseded Judas Priest. That's a fact. They will never oh, yeah. talk about it. Black Sabbath invented everything. And everybody, oh, yeah, but I would say they're bigger than Sabbath, though. I mean, there's no denying that. Metallica is the, the biggest metal band in the world. They're way bigger. They're way bigger, but they're just not more important. Oh God, they crush them. Sales, everything. They're, Metallica, the only metal band, is played on alternative rock. Yeah. Well, I, I would just on the strength of the first three albums. To me, they're just as important. I mean, they, they really are. And that's why, no matter what they do that, you know, comes, you know, way short of what they can do, it, they'll never be erased because, because of this. Hey, I want to hear Ralph's take on what you just said. Ralph, what's your take on, and I, I agree with it, generally speaking, what's your analysis of Ian's, you know, take on um, Metallica's uh, position and the hierarchy and the you know just the the whole importance of in heavy metal history, Black you, Sabbath and, and all that. Do you think I ever listen to Ian while we do these shows? <laughs> all right. Well, hopefully, I described what, what he kind what of was said. He was saying. <laughs> no, yeah. okay. yeah. here, here's my, here's... He, he was he was texting Kale and Jenner the whole time I was talking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that transsexual blowjob is going to happen, dude. I promise you. 
Thank you, Bill. You give me hope, man. But uh, uh, I will say this. I will say this. Metallica, and it's not a popular thing to say, but for the first three Metallica albums, they're the best of the big four. Hands down to me. And I love Slayer. I even, I would play Rain and Blood a million times more than the Master of Puppets, you know? But Metallica, to me, I'm just judging the first three albums. With Cliff Burton, man, they were the best. And yes, uh, I would say after Black Sabbath, it would be Metallica being the most important metal band. You know, it's almost like Black Sabbath just passed the baton to Metallica in 1986. And with Ian saying that, okay, they weren't the thrash band, maybe they weren't the thrash band if you're talking about songs like Exciter and Symptom of the Universe. But what album was 24-7 thrash before Kill 'Em All? That, to me, is the first thrash album. From oh, beginning yeah, I, to end, thrash. Hey, amen, amen, amen. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that, but I would say uh, Exodus was, was even more important as far as creating. But that album had nowhere near the impact. It came out way too late. So I'm not with, saying they, invent, they invented it, but they they perfected it, you know? Well, yeah, you, you got a point there. I mean, Exodus recorded their album in 84 and it didn't come out till 85. I mean, that was a big mess. But, yeah, Exodus, um, yeah, I listened to songs like Impaler, all that stuff that didn't make the album. Yeah, they were definitely a thrash band. But, seriously, Metallica, if you listen to the L.A. stuff with, uh, what's his face on face? Um, no, no Life to Leather, Ron McGovney. Dude, I mean, the, all those songs on No Life to Leather made it to kill them all. So... It may be a coincidental thing that Exodus was happening at the same time, but I don't think Metallica knew of Exodus when they were writing those songs, you know. And uh, and yeah, you know, I mean, Exodus was late to the party, but, you know, they started recording that first album when Kill 'Em All was already out. So, you know, like a lot of, like, you know, even Martin Popoff said, if In Rock came out before Black Sabbath, that'd be the first heavy metal album. You know what I'm saying? But... Uh, right. Black, Sabbath, Black Sabbath came out first, and this came out first, and yeah, it is to me the first uh, all thrash album. You know, amazing, amazing stuff. All right, who takes Sanctuary? Go ahead, Ralph. Uh, I love it, man. My favorite line in the song when he says, "Listen, damn it, we will win." It's Fate to Black Part Two. I mean, a lot. There's a lot of similarities in songs. You got the fast one opening, fight, fire, with fire, and battery. You got the title track, Light of Lightning and Master Puppets. Then you got the slower song, uh, For Home the Bell Tolls, and uh, uh, A Thing That Should Not Be Now, Fade to Black. And this is kind of the, even though it doesn't sound like Fade to Black, it is like the Metalla ballad on the album. And it's dark. Probably, probably got, I do no goddamn research, but I'm thinking maybe. One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest is the inspiration of this song? Yeah. Um, it is, isn't it? Maybe I did read that somewhere. But, um... That's at least yeah. theory. Yeah, it... it no, it, no, uh, James even said it. 
Yeah, so, yeah, you know, the, the beginning uh, and the grinding, it, it, it's just, and it gets fast, and it's it's awesome. It's a great closer to side one. What do you think, uh, Ian? Oh, my God. Uh, I fucking love this track. <laughs> and this is another one. Every time I hear it start, I just think about when I started playing guitar, and I would always, you know, if any, we were all hanging out, I'd pick up the guitar, and I'd play the intro to this. And that's all I could play is the fucking intro. <laughs> you know, once it kicked in, I was fucked. But I'd sit there, you know, that was my show off. I'd start playing this like, yeah, I play guitar. <laughs> you know, and then I'd set it down, you know, what were we talking about? Uh, <laughs> I fucking love this song. And I didn't know until I did some more research about um, the Cuckoo's Nest connection. I mean, it makes perfect sense. And James said he was watching it. And he said that's what really... You know, he, he says, I'm watching, he goes, you know, Jack Nicholson is the most sane person in this place, but since he's labeled a patient, he's fucked. And Hetfield said he found that frightening. You know, like, like you could have your wits about you, but if they deem you the patient instead of, you know, a normal person, you're fucked. Uh, I love it. To me, it's, it's still, it's too fucking heavy to be a ballad. I mean, it's got so much fucking balls. I can't even call it a ballad. It's just so fucking good. And I sit there and I think about, like, you know, what they become now compared to what they were. And could they ever get back to a place where they could write something like this again? Sure, and, they can resurrect Cliff Burton and they can. Well, you know, I was going to say, do I think they could get back to this? I, I say yes. Because when I heard no. the, the, the I, I think so though. I think the last album, uh, that Hardwired, and I got to admit, I listened to it when it came out. I don't even think we did an, uh, a full review of it. I think we talked about it. I don't think we did a track by track. But uh, you know, I remember hearing "Spit Out the Bone," and I was like, "Holy fuck, that's Metallica. That's old Metallica. That's they can still do this." I think they could if they, they they put their nose to the grindstone. And who knows? You know, Hetfield's going through a divorce right now. So that could either be an impetus for anger, great angry music, or it could be like music. I don't know. I hope it's some angry shit. Um, but I, I think I mean, these guys got it in them. You know, I have faith that Metallica, not that they need to redeem themselves. These motherfuckers, their, their place in history is fine. They're going to do right whether I think, you know, the new shit's good or not. But uh, when you got talent like this, it, it, it doesn't go away. You just have to find that hunger again. And I hope they find it and they can write another song this fucking good. Because uh, it's fucking amazing. And what a way to end an album. And... You know, an important thing to mention for this, when I first got this, um, I got it on cassette. And I listened to Side One over and over and over. I listened to Side Two nowhere near as much. And I was weird like that. I did the same thing with Injustice for All. I listened to Side One over and over. When it was when done, I would rewind it and go back again. And... You know, I didn't do that as much once we got into the CD era. And I remember the last cassette I bought was Anthrax, State of Euphoria. It was the last cassette 
I bought new, other than something I might have picked up at a you know at a secondhand store. Uh, but uh, man, that's what's gonna make you know this next chapter so so important because they're almost like not new songs. I know them, but. I know these first four like the back of my hand because that was the that side of the cassette, and and what a way to fucking end it, man! I absolutely love Sanitarium. What do you think, Bill Wang? I can't add anything. It's fucking amazing. Um, <laughs> it just it flows and it builds and builds and it just and the song context and the lyrical context is amazing. And such a young guy come up with lyrics like this, and just the the, the song composition, and just is amazing and great. And being there when it was brand new and everything, it just means so much. So I mean, I can't add to anything you guys said, except you guys didn't say five out of five chopsticks in one soy sauce bottle. All right, Wayne. Well, why don't you flip this motherfucker over? And uh, start off with track number five, or track number one on side two, Disposable Heroes. Oh my goodness, man. Um, Hetfield, Lars, Hammett, composition, eight minutes and 17 seconds. Um, what I always loved about this song, even way back when, when I was a young guy, that staccato sort of riff that sounds like rifle fire, like it's like totally violent just by the instrumentation because <laughs> I, I guarantee that's what they were trying to sound like is like rifle fire like we're gonna kill kill most of these songs and I, I and I got more coming but it's death death kill destruction uh, violence and just you know just crazy um, um, and, the, and there's a little bit of maiden gallop in the 32 second mark uh the buzzsaw guitar f- fucking wicked shit it's a great well-written classic and uh, and then just the lyrical content and the what the song is about makes the song even way better you know and being a young man way back when this song was being written same age as these guys me and ralph or we were, if there was a war, we're the fuckers are going to be, you know, say, go over there. And you know what I'm saying? So it's just it, looking back at it, the reflection is even more intense. But way back when, even when I was stupid and younger, I got the context and understood what the song was about. It's amazing. Five out of five chops. <laughs> it's awesome. Everything. Bam, bam, yeah. bam. Go ahead, Ian. All right. Well, uh, man, th- this is an example of how shit can grow on you so much. Because I remember, you know, when I got this, I, I just talked about how I played side one way more than side two. And it was never that I didn't like this song. I just liked everything on side one more at, at that point than Disposable Heroes. And that's why I kept sticking with side one. But man, as, as I went back and revisited this, and, and even when I got older and I got the CD and it wasn't the same thing, you know, I appreciate this song so much more. And now it's, you know, one of my fucking favorites. 
and you know learning more about you know what it was written about and i'm not like some retards who learn everything from redbeard you know i got this from james hetfield's mouth himself uh <laughs> th th there was two inspirations for this that i thought were just beautiful analogies and really opened up to even more how i looked at it just a lyrical standpoint i already love it musically but lyric he got the title he was watching football and and the announcer uh <laughs> called called the football players disposable heroes and he was talking about how they go out there you know and they they give it everything and you know once their knees shot they're gone you know and i'm hoping you know i'm wondering i'm like oh i hope it was like dandy don meredith for you real old motherfuckers you know i hope it's like before he was singing, you know, lights out, party's over. <laughs> I, I know Bill Wayne knows what I'm talking about. Damn sure uh, that bitch. You <laughs> That's my nigga right there. Damn. <laughs> but uh, no, I love because I always just looked at it purely from a, you know, a military standpoint, you know, about, you know, young soldiers being thrown out. It's always, you know, the poor you know, people who, you know, get drafted and are out on the front lines. And that's also part of it because James said he was also inspired by a poster his brother had when they were very young. And it was a picture of like a, like a six-year-old kid, you know, with a helmet on and a machine gun. And he's got like full military garb and he's standing in Arlington Cemetery. And, uh, and James said when he was young, he says he thought it was a picture of him. You know, because the kid looked just like him. He didn't know until later. It was just a, a, a cool anti-war poster that his brother had. But he said it, it was those two factors, you know, sending, you know, the young and the poor out to die and, and, and athletes who go out there and kill themselves for entertainment. You know, it, it's kind of cool. It shows you how, you know, one person might hear, hear this, but, you know, in the mind of the author of the song, it, it could be multiple things. And that's the beauty of music and interpretation but holy fuck is this a goddamn good song and this this album could not fuck up if it tried i mean it's just one standout song after another and it might have took me you know a little while to get into the second side but when it did i mean hooks were in and i'm sold and now when i listen to it I never listen to just one track. I put it on and it's battery through damage ink. You know, and I absolutely love, love disposable heroes. Now get back to the front. What do you got, Ralph? I was born for dying. I think this was the first song they played live, actually. I have this uh, bootleg album called We'll Nail You Down, which has a like a I don't know. It looks like some weird B movie of some chick with a with a helmet on and her and her tits are out. And um, Disposable Heroes is on there, and that's when they were opening opening for Tank in Europe. Uh, and uh, yeah, Disposable Heroes was the only song on the set list from the Master of Puppets album. So I think maybe they were done. But yeah, what an epic dude! What an epic song and. Uh, pretty long too but it's, it keeps me very interested and it's got many killer metallic hooks you know you will do what i say when i say um, and yeah i was born for dying and back to the front 
it's, it's amazing. It's, it's just uh, the thrashiest song I would say on the album. And yeah, it's just uh, they never, you know, like you were talking about earlier, Spit Out the Bone is the closest they ever came to song like this. And of course, Blacken and Dire Z. Can't discount those two killer songs off that album. I don't like, but those are killer thrashy tunes. But absolutely love it. And it's uh, like what you guys were saying earlier, they were so young. Yeah, they were so young and they did this, like a song that's pretty long and interesting and thrashy the whole way through. Master. Right. I'll take the next one, uh, Leopard Messiah. I don't have the album in front of me. How can I? How can you not memorize every song in order on this? Dave Mustaine claims he has something to do with the songwriting on this song. And uh, I love it. it. As far as I know, maybe there's a bunch of punk bands that did it, but this was pretty much uh, ahead of its time with uh, talking about preachers, you know, and metal. You know, then afterwards you had Anthrax do that terrible, you're making me laugh. Ozzy Miracle Man. I mean, it became a, you know, a feeding frenzy on talking about preachers, but this was the send first. Me, send Me Your Money by Suicidal. There you go, another one. Yeah, it's, it became kind of popular. They were the first. That's the thing about Metallica. Everything they did was the first. You think about when they, when they uh, did the Black Album. All the fucking metal bands were not as thrashy anymore. You had The Ritual by Testament. You had Force of Habit by Exodus. You had Anthrax with uh, Sound of White Noise. You know, they, uh, they all changed it. Everybody was following Metallica's footsteps the whole way, you know, and um, except for Slayer. They were the only one. They followed Korn later, but, you know, not Metallica. They, you know, Divine Intervention and all that. They remained Slayer. You got to give it to them that. But, you know, even you can even uh, put in Countdown to Extinction. In that list, because they really oh hell yeah yeah countdown's a total ripoff of the black album yeah they they slowed down and I want to tell you a real quick story my friend hated Metallica at the time and loved Megadeth and when countdown first came out he called me up he goes that's it Metallica's done you heard a new Megadeth I go no I haven't yet and he goes let me tell you something the the title track countdown extinction it's about killing animals and let me tell you something chicks dig animals. Watch, this is going to be a big album. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where, where, the, where the Black Album, I think, still goes platinum every year, and I think uh, Countdown goes Formica every year, you know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I love Leper Messiah. Uh, again, you know, they slow it down a bit, but they keep it heavy as hell, man. Love it. Bill, what do you think? I mean, how can I add to what you all said? Uh, the whole aspect of the telling, the telling in evangelist fuckers and that whole situation. I mean, the song is so violent and graphic and, and powerful and amazing. Five out of five chopsticks. And I can't add to what you all just said. So, so amazing. Well, I got to talk about it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, oh, my bad, brother. My bad. Uh, I love this fucking song and yeah uh, this was the first album that they did that didn't have a co-writing credit to Dave Mustaine even though he says I wrote one part of this song and I think Metallica even said there's one small part 
that might have been ripped off an idea while he was in the band. And I laugh at that because, as I was saying earlier in the news, he just came out bitching about Ellison getting credit on some horrible song on Super Collider. Uh, you know, he added an intro and wanted to add his name to the fucking title. Well, here's, <laughs> you know, Mustaine doing the same fucking shit. Oh, I did that, you know. And even admittedly, they're like, oh, maybe one second was something he might have done in rehearsal. You know, and he wants fucking credit. You know, and I think that's just Mustaine trying to tie his name into one of the greatest heavy metal albums of all time, if not the best. I mean, I, I honestly think this is in contention for the best heavy metal album of all time. Um, but I, I, yeah, I find that it's, it's, so it's uh, number one, Ian. Yeah, no, I, this I, album. I, I, I think you're right, dude. I, I to me, it's you know, I, you. I, I saw I saw a poll where uh, it came in number two under Paranoid, but uh, dare I it's say, number. Yeah, you know, it's 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 ju just as fucking like you can't even call it a one and two. I think it's a one and one as far as importance to heavy metal. Um, no, I love it, and I, I love the you know the scattering commentary on on you know idiot televangelists and their even stupider followers. You know, I look at televangelists like Sammy Hagar. Yeah, they're a piece of shit, but you know who's even worse is the idiots who believe in them and follow them. Um, and, and it was, you know, Ralph brought up a great point. You know, this wasn't as hip at the time. And after they did this, there was a million bands who did this shit. And there might have been some punk bands, but still no band that did it the way Metallica did with Leper Messiah. And it's just so goddamn good. It's so crunchy. Uh, you know, I remember seeing an interview with um, with Phil Anselmo from Pantera, and uh, you know he talked about nobody had that guitar tone and that crunch that Metallica had before Metallica, and so many bands ripped it off. You know, as much as I love Anthrax, you know Ralph brought up a great point. You know, there's early Anthrax, and then there's like you know post. Uh, Master of Puppets Anthrax. You know, you can hear on Among the Living, you can definitely hear the influence and copying of the, of the sound that Metallica created with this. And again, as I go back to Fleming Rasmussen and James Hetfield, that's why they right. never went back to Fleming Rasmussen, I have no idea. You know, yeah. I, lo I loved Injustice when it came out. I, I still yep. love it. But, but now looking at it, I see the step down that it was from Puppets. I still love it, but it's not as good as Puppets. And the production, still the, fucking best. forget yeah. about it. It's still the fourth best Metallica album ever. Oh, yeah, no, I, I love it, but I'm just saying it's it's that was the beginning of the end. You know? Right. Yeah. Uh, but but I mean, listen to the production. Listen to how they sound. Listen to how fucking crunchy and crisp Ride the Lightning are. Remember, Kill 'Em All wasn't originally produced by Fleming Rasmussen. I think he went back and did like a remix of it. But you, you know, listen to the sound on Ride the Lightning and Puppets, and then listen to the, the production on uh, you know Injustice for All. And it's like, oh my god, they sounded so much better before. Uh, yeah. This this song is just 
fucking amazing. And it's something I never noticed, uh, you know, as much as I totally admit, you know, you know, Cliff Burton was fucking amazing. But there's some songs, especially in thrash, I think bass is the instrument that gets buried the most. You li- like, like Slayer. I see Tom Mariah playing a bass. I don't think I've ever heard bass in a Slayer song, <laughs> you know. But I, I know he's playing it, you know. Uh, you know, I, I think that that is the one instrument that suffers the most. It's always the guitar, the drums, and the vocals. But I was listening to this song today with headphones on, and and I'm listening to like a really high bit rate of the the uh, Master of Puppets box set, and I'm I'm hearing this shit that you know little nuances from Cliff that I never picked up on before, and I don't know if it's because I was you know listening to it with headphones or it's how they tweak the mix for for the box set, but I was like, man. There is some really cool shit. You know, most people, when they think of Cliff, you know, it's always Anastasia, you know, or Orion and stuff like that, you know. Right. I was hearing some amazing stuff on Leopard Messiah. I was like, God damn, that's tasty. And it, and it stuck yeah. out. Great fucking track. But uh, yep. I'll take the, the next one, the instrumental. Holy shit, Orion. Cliff, baby. All about Cliff. Um, but what I love about this is, you know, there's no Orion without Cliff. But I think everybody shines on this song. I don't think this is so much a, uh, you know, just like a standout Cliff piece like Anastasia, Anastasia was, you know. Um, I think the whole band is vital to what makes a song work. But of course, the genesis comes from Cliff. Um, their greatest instrumental, and, and I, I love them all. I love every Metallica instrumental. Every every one of them. You know, I, I love you know Anastasia, you know, Call of Cthulhu, Orion, uh, To Live Is To Die. I love Suicidal Redemption. That could be my favorite song on Death Magnetic. I think it's fucking incredible, and I was so glad to see him get back to that. Uh, but there's just something about Orion, you know? And I think it's, I think what it is though, is it's a showpiece for the entire band, and not just one member. Everybody hits it on this song. And and the sadness and the sorrow in those guitars on this one, it's like, you know? Sounds like a fucking, you know, a cat getting fucked in the wrong hole, but it fucking hits, you know? Uh, Oh my god, I love it. Incredible track. What do you think, Bill Wang? Um, uh, Burton Hatfield, Lars composition, eight minutes, 27 seconds. Uh, that spooky, dirgy beginning sounds like someone is dying or about to get killed. <laughs> That's what I just wrote on my little note. Man, the fucking song is a bold powerful instrumental for back in the day young little kids uh burton's greatness is shines as lovable love eloquently expressed with respect and uh, knowledge of his compositions and his importance to this band uh i saw this band you know uh a lot three times with clip burton 
and uh, eight times on the Injustice tour, and never on the Black Album tour, never on the Load tour, never on the Reload tour, and then finally saw Metallica on the Saint Anger tour, and then fast forward, my favorite one was uh, Death Magnetic. Uh, so I, I was. Uh, all in early uh, Metallica, and I love all Metallica. As I've said on your popular podcast, if you listen to the Load and Reload series that we all did, you know. Um, but anyways, man, you know the fact of the matter is Metallica's peak was when they were little kids. You know, the shit after was great. But it will never, like I said in the very beginning, you know, and I stand by this. Master of Puppets was so good that a lot of fans never forgave them. I mean, if you think about it, I, I keep—I hate to keep repeating myself, but when you listen to this album, it's like, well, fuck. How are you going to top this? How are you going to make your fan base happy? You can't, because no matter what happens, whether the bass player dies, whatever. And injustice is amazing, you know. It's they were doomed for when they released this record. Anyways, I digress. Yeah, um, this is my favorite Metallica song overall. I think it buries all the other instrumentals, though. The one that Ian mentioned from Death Magnetic, I, I gotta listen to that again. That album just disappointed me so much. And what you were saying, I, it wasn't like, you know, the thing thing about me, when it becomes trendy to hate on a band, I kind of don't go that route. Like, you never hear me talk about Nickelback and all that shit, because it's just so trendy to bash on it. Uh, you know, Sammy Hagar is not trendy to bash on. And though I was very disappointed and very upset, by the way, when I saw the Low Tour, that I walked out of that show saying, I am never going to see Metallica again. Fuck them. You know, because they did the intro to Fight Fire with Fire and they went into Nothing Else Matters, man. Come on. Ooh, ow. You want to piss off the fucking fan base, the old schoolers. And I just <laughs> thought it was a stupid show. They they, they did this little thing like the, the, the stage went on fire and, a, and a roadies engulfed in flames. It's like, And even like, you know, I was dating some dumb girl at the time. She's like, oh, my God. Like she thought it was real, you know. But anyway, dumb chicks rule anyway. But uh, <laughs> my great, uh, you know what, man? Blasphemy, I don't care. I don't like To Live Is To Die. I just don't like that song. I'm not the biggest fan of Call of Cthulhu, though I can stomach it. But seriously, after Creeping Death, I usually turn that CD off. I'm done, I'm done with Metallica by then. But Orion, it's the heaviest, heaviest Metallica song ever. And it's not the Cliff Burton with all... It's beautiful what Cliff does on it. But like what Ian was saying, it's the band. It's the song. It's not an individual. But it's great that they use the greatest Metallica song to showcase Cliff Burton, you know, before he passed away. That's glorious. And what he does, that little bass solo shit, is amazing. But it's no more amazing than what Bill said, how it starts, the way that it builds up, the crunchiness, just the way... It, you know, the, the, the tone, the bass, adding a, a lot of like the solo thing, and a little, little um, what do you call it? like hooks, the little hooks, you know, it just, it comes in 
pummels you for eight minutes and it slowly creeps away. And it's just a monster. It's not only the greatest Metallica song, I would put it in the top 10 of greatest metal songs ever written. Hands down, probably even top five. I'd have to write down that list. I'll tell you, Kiss will be at number 15 there, Bill. <laughs> you motherfucker. God damn it. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, all right, I'll take the next one, which is also, you know, one thing I can't stand, and here I am bashing something off this album, but it goes for any album, anything. But I kind of, I kind of uh, excuse this one because it's later in the album. I cannot stand albums that have a, like a slow buildup. Like I'll give you an example: "Time to Kill" from Overkill. I hate that. I hate when you gotta wait for it to start. You know, it's like this humming noise for thirty seconds, then it kicks in. You know, and even when it kicks in real fast, like on the Elder, I hated that shit, fanfare. But I just don't like these. And and this song, man, really, man, it. I don't think it needs it. I don't think it needs all that. Yeah, you know, just start it with a dun, dun. damaging brings this shit to a to a screeching, screeching a bitch slap, you know, and you're screeching from the bitch bitch slaps. Um and uh I love it. I also want to add I love hardwired to self-destruct where I'd say it's even better than Injustice for All. But I will say Hardwired does not have a song as good as Blackened. But I think everything else, you know, with the exception of I didn't like Man Unkind and, well, three songs. I think it's three songs too long. But I think that album just... And I'm the one that didn't like Death Magnetic, St. Anger, Loads, Black Album. I didn't like none of that shit. When I heard this album and I heard Hardwired for the first time, I was hooked. And I played this album like maybe two months ago. I still play it and love it, man. I absolutely love Hardwired, but we're talking about Damage Inc. and Damage Inc. rules. And uh, in the Bill Wang Hall of Fame, one of his favorite videos is the Sopranos version of Damage Inc. <laughs> Funny you say that, because in my little notes, I'm pointing at them as I, as I speak. And I'm going to read exactly what I just said. All right, that's so what do you think of Damage Inc.? Yeah, and that's where I'm going. Uh, Hetfield, Lars, Hammett, Burton, composition, five minutes and 32 seconds. Such an amazing track. And I love Ralph's video he made of the song with the Sopranos footage. Fucking a mindfuck. I adore the song. The fucking brutality of the song is wicked. It just sounds like someone is killing people and having fun doing it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, I, I will say yeah. that the, the, the only Sounds reason... very violent. The only reason that Bill Wayne thinks that's the best video he's ever seen for it is he's never seen the one where I mix in footage from the Fox classic Small Wonder. <laughs> Damage Incorporated. I, I think that would change your mind. Where is that? Uh, I don't believe you. Show me. Send me a yeah. link. Well, it's it's on MySpace. It's very hard to find. Very hard. <laughs> only me, yeah, only only me and Tom have access to that. Um, but uh, oh my God, do I love this song? And I, I gotta I gotta disagree with you. I, I think the opening intro is is perfect, and I love like coming after Orion 
you don't know where they're going next, and I love that little buildup. And then it just knocks your fucking teeth in the back of your throat. Uh, love that. What a way. I mean, you start this album off with battery, and then you end with damage ink. Holy fucking shit. Said it a gazillion times. An album that leaves you wanting more. But it, it's almost can you take any more by the end of Damage Ink? I mean, just. Right, right, exactly. What a perfect fucking album. And I'm sure you guys probably remember, but, uh, you know, some of our listeners might not. You know, around this time was the, uh, you know, the stickers they would put on the albums, you know, the warning stickers and shit. And they had the uh, the Damage Ink sticker, uh, sticker on there. Do you guys remember that? No. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it said... Uh, I'm trying to find it. They got the exact quote on here somewhere. I got to go to Wikipedia. But uh, basically, uh, give me a second to edit this out. But I know my cassette had it. Okay. Yeah, the, the sticker that was on it said. The only track you probably won't play is Damage Inc. due to the multiple uses of the infamous F-word. Otherwise, there aren't any shit, fuck, piss, cunt, cocksucker motherfuckers anywhere on this record. And I love that. <laughs> I, I, remember my, I, I remember it had that hype sticker on there. It was fucking awesome. Um, yeah, fucking great way to end this fucking masterpiece. And, you know, for those who weren't there... And this is one album where we were all there one way or another. You know, you guys yeah, were a little bit... Yeah, you were... Yeah. You were a little bit older than me, and you had more experience with the band than I did, but this was the first Metallic album that I bought. You know, I bought this before any of the others came out. And, yep. you know, there, there was just a time when this was the fucking band and what they stood for, you know, and, and people who are younger than us probably can't comprehend when there was a time when there was a band that was this talked about, yet still underground. They didn't do videos. And that in and of itself, I mean, all three of us remember what a big deal it was when the one video came out. It was like, whoa, Metallica don't do videos, you know? And I think it's cousin, cousin shit like that. And go ahead, Bill. Keep on. I'm listening. Oh, okay. Um, you know, one thing I, I can say, maybe you know, children of the '90s uh, remember how important Pantera was and how they were yeah. a band of the people. That's what Metallica was in the 80s. You know, like like they were the, the band of fans. And, and, you know, and they were the people who were just like, you know, we're no better than you. We're not rock stars. We just love metal and we do this. And that's why I think it was so hard for old school Metallica fans to deal with when Pantera got lighter and lighter. You know, when they cut their hair. When they went on tour... And they took out, you know, Days of the New and Limp Biscuit. You know, I mean, look at 
you know, when Garage Days Re Revisited came out and they're covering fucking, you know, uh, you, you know, all these classic Merc- new wave, you know, they're, they're covering Misfits and, and fucking. Hello? Yeah, yeah, Merciful. You said Garage Days, Metallica covered like 20 minutes of Merciful Fate. Let's not ignore that. Well, no, no, but but let's look at like when Garage Inc. came out in the 90s, what were the singles? Now they're covering Bob Seger. They're covering uh, Nick Cave. You know, they're, they're covering Thin Lizzy, where before they were all about metal. And now they're trying to like, we're not metal, we're Metallica. You know, and that was a slap in the face to these old school fans. And you're putting out this subpar shit. And I think I think they were just a victim of their own success. I think they just got so big, they lost that hunger. But yet there's a part of them that does, you know, more for their fans than any, you know. Look at KISS. Everything they put out is just like trying to steal your fucking money. It's all a fucking, you know, Funko Pops and ripoffs. Look at all these box sets that Metallica put out. Those are for true fans. You buy the, you know, the, the fucking, uh, you know, the kill them all, the ride the lightning, the, you know, all of them. You buy those box sets. That's made for diehard fans. Look at those, the, the 30th anniversary concerts they did in San Francisco where they brought everybody up and played yep. with them. And, oh, those are, and I've got pristine bootlegs of all four nights of the 30th anniversary shows they did in San Francisco. If any of our listeners need those, hit me up. I'll send them to you on Dropbox because they are phenomenal. You know, when they brought up Armored Saint. uh, Is that Mr. X? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. X will send that to you. I don't don't give a (laughs) fuck, you know. They they coming after me. Um, But yeah, I'll send that to any. So they've done so much shit for their fans, you know. Uh, now it's time to get back to making great music again. And, and you know, they've come a long way, in, in my opinion. You know, between Death Magnetic and, and Hardwired and Self-Destruct, and any time they come out with something new, now I'm hoping for the best. You know, I've lived through the 90s shit, that horrible doing shit with the symphony, you know, and the short hairs and the alternative fucking, you know, the Stone Temple Pilots fucking Metallica. You know, I'm ready for fucking thrash Metallica. I, I and I know they can do it. I just hope they do. But no matter what they fucking do, man, you've got you've got '80s Metallica, and that's all that's all you fucking need. And if, if they never make another great album again, you still owe them. <laughs> you know, for what they did for you, what they've done for your ears, what they've done for heavy metal music. You got yep. it up for Metallica. And uh, this album was released March 3rd, 1986, produced by Fleming Rasmussen, engineered by Michael Wagner. Um, I saw a, a stat on the, on the record sales, but what sucks is it stops at 2003. As of 2003, it sold 6 million copies. I can only imagine what it's at these days. This was the first heavy metal album that was ever put into the Library of Congress, which, you know, they say it, it, uh, they preserve it for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant to America. Uh, that, that, you know, 
I mean, some people might say, oh, it's like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't give a fuck. That's a big deal. No, no. I'm Look, I don't know nothing about that place that took in Master of Puppets. Yeah. But, dude, for them to take in Master of Puppets and not the Black Album, dude, that shit's way better than Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You kidding me? Yeah, fucking ain't right. <laughs> fucking ain't right. So, I mean, just, I mean, fucking amazing. It's Master of Puppets. And uh, there you go. And, Bill Wayne, you are a special host. Do you have a pick of the week? Yes, I certainly do. And um, it's so crazy. Um, my pick of the week got like spurred on because when I uh, uh, watched the Taylor uh, Hawkins tribute and I saw, I, I mean, I never experienced, I never thought this would ever happen in a billion years, but all of a sudden I see Wolfgang Van Allen rocking out the on fucking fire. And Homeboy from the Darkness that I haven't listened to since January 2004 just was belting out these rough 79, 78 screams, and he was brilliant. And I went batshit crazy. And then I started watching a show on uh, YouTube, Justin Hawkins' uh, ride or whatever. And so yeah. my week my pick of the week is july 7th 2003 release gold album um the darkness permission to land and i want to dedicate this album to jessica whitney because 20 years out of high after high school and we got back together and this was like uh, uh, it just it's more of a nostalgic pick but i fucking stand by it so there you go that's my pick of the week boys i'd rather pick my ass uh, Bill Wayne, Bill Wayne made me believe in a thing called love. I think that's a beautiful story. Thank you, thank you. Well, it's a nice story and all, but that I'd rather get fucking monkey herpes than to listen to fucking dark. Hey, 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 I don't want to edit that part out. <laughs> I didn't go into much love. details about my, my monkey heart herpes. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ralph, you got a pick of the week, or you want me to go? Yeah, you go. All right, well then, sing the song. This is the only time it's cool to say in before Ralph, but it wasn't cool that Bill Ward, Bill Bill Wang was uh, before Ralph too. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it's my bloated ego. Pick of the week. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. Pick of the week. <laughs> All right. Well, my pick of the week. I was trying to think of a fucking album that would go with this and I just couldn't come up with something uh, but I, I do want to say uh, god damn it was so good to talk about an album I love as much as this you know we've been doing the, the fan episodes that you know while we love doing them a lot of them we have limited interest in and I gotta say in my life I've gone in and out what's more important to me at the time you know music or you know, movies and shows like that. And since the pandemic, and I don't know if it's because, like, as, as many new albums haven't come out that I care about or what, you know, the last couple of years, I've just been more into movies than I have music. And not only movies, but television. And so I'm picking two television shows this week. I know Ralph's like, oh, keep it one, but you don't have to worry about syncing up music, so you don't have to worry about it. 
But I want to talk about the Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul universe. Those are the and, greatest uh, shows ever made, period. No discussion. Yes. Nothing better than those two shows. Nothing. Oh, man. And, you know, Better Call Saul just ended. And I went back and I rewatched everything, you know, started with Breaking Bad and and I've got like three episodes left of Better Call Saul, even though I just watched it as it happened. I'm, I'm still I'm that caught up that I'm I'm almost watching it again. And it's just what a glorious time for television. I, I think we really hit like, you know, people talk about the golden era of television. And I think it was reinvented. There was a second coming at the end of the 90s, you know, with shows like The Sopranos and The Wire, uh, Oz, Six Feet Under, you know, there, there's there's so many great shows, a lot of them on cable channels, but it redefined what you can do on television and the kind of stories you can tell. And to me, like an apex of that is Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. And, you know, just rewatching Better Call Saul, a lot of people are like, ah, it's a prequel, wah, wah, wah. To me, it's neck and neck with Breaking Bad. I mean, it's so good. Ian, let me interrupt you for a second. Okay. The way the last season ended and the first three episodes of the last season of Better Call Saul were the <laughs> better than any Breaking Bad show, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's amazing. It, it's great television, great storytelling. And, uh, and again, I admit, like some, you know, my two passions in life have always been music, you know, and, and film media and stuff. And, you know, if you live long enough, I think you'll see sometimes it wanes from one to the other. But I've really been enjoying, uh, you know, film lately more than music. But, it, but it'll change. But, man, just check those shows out. And appreciate the writing and the acting and and just how great it is. And sometimes a, a great movie or a great TV show can hit you just as much as an incredible song or you know or a band or an album. And uh, I say check those shows out. And I was really inspired. I saw uh, Edwin Canastracci. I don't know if I'm supposed to call him Eddie, Edwin, whatever the fuck, you know, because of his business. But anyway, he said he kind of gave up on Better Call Saul because he didn't like season four. And he just recently went back and watched season five. I'm like, oh, fuck, why did I give up on this show? And, uh, you know, I implore anybody, you know, if, if you didn't watch that from beginning to end, go back and check out Better Call Saul. Fucking amazing. But that and Breaking Bad, that is my pick of the week. Go watch them for the first time or watch them for the 50th time. Yeah, I, I gotta say, man, what a white knuckle experience that Better Call Saul was when it was uh, toward the end. Oh, and and no character in my in my uh, opinion as evil as Lalo, because there was something about his, oh man his demeanor was better than any bad guy I've ever seen in my life, because he was so happy go lucky, but you know he will kill you in a heartbeat. But he's got oh, there's so many out. there's so many things I want to say, but there's spoiler alerts, you know. If if nobody's watched it yet, and I I fucking can't stand people who do spoilers and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, between him and Gus, it's almost kind of up and up. Who's you know who's the best villain? But yeah. check him out. That's my pick of the week. I would I would add uh, Tuco, but he ain't on it enough. 
If he was on it, I'd put him, yeah, I'd put him up there with Gus and, and Lalo. But Lalo, to me, takes the cake, man. I yeah. mean, Tony Dolan, I think that's his name. What an actor. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. All right. I, yeah. I, I found a pick of the week, but shit. I also should talk about, I went to go see my favorite movie of all time in the theater in 3D, Jaws. It was mind-blowing, dude, what they did. It was crazy, like that underwater stuff, and wow. The original Jaws in 3D? The original Jaws is in 3D, in theaters probably still now. I saw it like a week ago. Uh, they Yeah, they released it in 3D, you know? And my God, like the scene where, where, where uh, the shark gets Clint. Holy crap, man, the, the, just the whole movie, really, I mean, the thing pops up at you, like, you know, that scene where, you know, Hooper is telling the mayor, it's going to come up and bite you in the ass. You know, all that shit. Yeah. Like, all this stuff is going on in the in, in, in the background and so 3D-ish and hologram-ish. It was amazing. I, I, I've seen 3D movies before. This was the best 3D movie I've ever seen in my life. It was, and yeah, wow. it is this movie of all time. But what they did with the 3D, it's just mind-blowing. Check it out. Look through your listing. It might be showing on some of your theaters. Yeah, I, I, was, I didn't even hear about that at all, but I would definitely like to check that out. Oh, and is that with like the new style 3D where it's like the clear glasses, not the red and blue? No, it wasn't red and blue either. It's, it looks like sunglasses. It's dark. Okay, okay. Oh man, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, all, all right. right. Well, I. I implore everybody to check those out. Those are our picks of the week. No, I, I got another pick of the week, though. Oh, okay. All righty. Very important one. It involves one of our friends. Oh, okay. I just got a book called This Band Has No Past. How oh, Cheap, yeah. How Cheap Trick Became Cheap Trick by our own friend, BJ Cramp. Love BJ. What a page turner, dude. It's Awesome. We got to get him on the show to talk about this. Um, oh, hell yeah. Anybody that's a Cheap Trick fan, this one, you know, I mean, as far as I know, there's only two Cheap Trick uh, uh, books. Uh, Reputation is a Fragile Thing and the one that our buddy uh, Robert Lawson has still competition. Right. This one right. is different. It's more historical and he gets interviews with their original manager and Bunny Carlos and it's really good stuff, man. And I haven't finished it yet, but a total page turner and i plan on finishing it tonight uh so that's I'm, my pick of the week this band has no past how cheap trick became cheap trick by bj cramp and jaws 3d oh yeah and and i'm so happy for bj he's such a nice guy and anybody who, who's met him knows i couldn't be more happy for him i wish him all the success i think that's a great idea we gotta have him on for a cheap trick episode yeah for the fantastic yeah. Well, yeah, talk about the book and, and an album, you know, of his choosing. Okay. But now's where, you know, normally we go into, you know, fan of the week. But but not this week. This week we got to do, you know, guest hall of fame. God of the... You know, and the, the babe root of fucking guests on this show is with us today. The one and only... Long overdue having him back. The one and only, bam, 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 Bill Wayne. <laughs> Bill, I want I want to thank you for coming on the show today and helping make this show 
the success it is, and we're gonna have numbers through the fucking roof with this. Just, I don't even know if I'm gonna put Master of Puppets. I'm just gonna put Bill Wang. That's all you gotta put. Yeah, that's what you do. Hey, man, here's the deal, man. This year, this calendar year, it was eight years ago I did you guys a show, like, right in the beginning of you guys. I believe, is it your anniversary pretty soon? But it's been amazing. Uh, some years I did 12 episodes a year, and I'm still here. And uh, you guys created amazing, uh, an amazing situation, and I'm honored to be back. So thanks, man. Appreciate it. Bam! Oh, fuck yeah! And it, it won't be there won't be this long a break again between Bill's appearances. We just gotta wait till we're done with the fan episodes, and we can talk about good albums. Oh, oh <laughs> if we gotta wait for Bill to come back after the the fan episodes, he'll be back in a couple years. <laughs> well, we'll take we'll take another break, and we'll have yeah. him come back. Well, we're gonna have to. Yeah, we'll yeah, do it till till the end of these fan of eight episodes. <laughs> yeah, but Bill, thank you so. I mean, you are such an important part of the history of this show, and you are definitely. You know the, the fan favorite. People love what you add to this show. They love your spirit. Your you know your your catchphrases, everything. And uh, man, it just feels like home again having you here, man. So uh, I love you as as a friend. I I love you as a co-host. And I can't thank you enough, brother. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, dude. That's hella cool. You two have uh, you started as I've said many many times. You know. You meet people online and everything, but you have to meet them in person to really, really know a person. And both of you guys spent four nights in my bed <laughs> on different episodes, uh, parts of life, years apart. Yes. But man, yeah, man, I appreciate y'all fucking putting me in and making me part of your creation. Just your creation. I'm just a little crazy guest host, whatever, but. If it wasn't for your creation, there wouldn't be me on the show. So I'm honored to be on the show. And uh, hopefully in 20 years, we're all still alive and we're still doing this shit. So there you go. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, I feel bad for you for the next one. Because we're <laughs> Bill Wang ain't going to be here. And we're going to talk about an album you don't give a fuck about. <laughs> Probably neither will we. But there'll still be some dick and fart jokes. Yeah. That'll be next week. On the Rock and Metal Combat Pod.